The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by Hash House Agogo, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, Brew City Brand Apparel, the Food Connection LV.com, and by Mr. Antenna. It's The Fake Show with Jim Toffee. Welcome to the show. You know, it was 40 years ago this summer that Animal House was released by a nervous Universal Studios. The script was offered to well-known directors at the time like George Roy Hill, John Schlesinger, and Mike Nichols. Nobody wanted it, so it went to a then 27-year-old John Landis who was known for the Kentucky Fried Movie. Harold Ramis had written the role of Boone for himself but hadn't really acted that much at that point, so it went to New York actor Peter Riegert. The part of Otter was originally written for Chevy Chase, but he instead did foul play with Goldie Hawn. One thing everyone agreed on, and that is they loved working with John Belushi, including my next guest, Tim Matheson. At the time we did this interview, Tim had just finished the film on Ronald Reagan. We'll talk about Animal House, Tim's childhood roles, which included Johnny Quest, and the Reagan film, as Tim joins us now from Los Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hi, Jim. How are you? Tim, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Your latest film sounds really intriguing, Killing Reagan. How much of a challenge was it to play this hugely iconic real person? Well, I was I was very nervous. You know, I, I more than anything, I, I didn't want to, you know, he's so recognizable and so beloved by the American people, many of the American people, that I just didn't want to screw it up, you know, and yeah. um, and there's many ways to do that. You could do a bad impression, you could do too much or this, you know, so I just wanted to try and find a balance that uh, honored him, and it's not about politics either, you know, It's this is about the man and his relationship with Nancy, and it, so it's a personal story on one side, and then it's the story of a sort of a delusional, uh, mentally unstable man, John Hinckley, on the other side. So it's the contrast of those two stories. I think we really find that Reagan was kind of born to be president, wasn't he? He was so well-liked and so reassuring to the country. Absolutely. You know, I um, uh, he was the, the perfect man to come along at the right, you know, at a time that America really needed a steady hand, we were going through tremendous uh, unstable times. The economy was a mess. We had a hostage crisis in Iran, and it was just um, we lost faith in our institutions. And I think his fervent belief in our government, and and he, you know, also he was a very humble guy in many ways. He was very shy too. He he could play a role as president or you know as an actor, but in his personal life, he just liked to, you know, be quiet and be home with Nancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think you said this in a past interview that he, this was a B-movie star. He he was not a great actor, and that kind of, you know, led to him being a little more humble, and which is part of his appeal, I suppose. He didn't have that huge ego. Exactly. I mean, he was kind of forced to go into television at a time he couldn't really get a movie job, and uh, he, he late fifties and kind of went into you know GE television theater, GE theater on television, uh, and it really it, it it made him sort of familiar to America's. He was in their home every week, and I think that made him trusted by so many people. And um, it, you know, it was uh, I think it also added to his humility as well. Uh, by the way, did you ever meet him? I never met him. Or Nancy, but I, I was, you know, uh, 
I knew uh, Patty Davis, his daughter, right. uh, socially on a few occasions. A lovely young woman. Um, but his kids were, you know, troubled, I think, because it seemed to me that Ronnie and Nancy were sort of so close together, and they even talked about it. They wished they'd been better parents and more open to their kids, and um, the kids felt, uh, you know, a little sort of alienated, I think. What did you learn, if anything, about the assassination attempt that maybe you didn't know before taking on this role? I didn't, I, I remember the event. I was in New York at the time uh, that, of the assassination and how shocked I was along with so many Americans. But I, what I, I, re, I learned was that the bullet had actually, that Hinckley fired five times and uh, one bullet that struck Reagan had glanced off the side of the presidential limousine and gone between the door and the body of the car as Reagan was being shoved into the limo and actually hit him. So the... The odds of that happening were just, you know, amazing. Yeah. But, um, and they didn't really think he had been shot for the longest time. When he got to the hospital, they thought uh, that he was having a heart attack because he couldn't breathe, and there wasn't really overt evidence that he had been shot. Not, you know, not a great deal of blood. He was really close to dying, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that it was more um, the urgency. Yeah, he lost a tremendous amount of blood. And the they really and they couldn't find the bullet, and so there were there were points in the in the surgery that they were really concerned that they they had to move this thing along. I mean, he was seventy years old, right? And that's a tremendous amount of stress and and um, to be you know under for a, a long time. If you wouldn't mind going back a few years, in fact, this was just on a couple of days ago. It was a rerun of Leave It to Beaver, and I think you were on—I think you were on the final season, if I'm not mistaken. What do you recall about getting that show? You know, the part you were on a few episodes. You know, that was like—I thought, wow, this my, maybe my career is really starting to take off. You know, because it was like one of the first times I—I was in a sort of well-known show, and and. Um, it, it, <laughs> I, I was thrilled, and I, I, as I recall, I, you know, I, and I loved working with Jerry and those guys. Everybody was, you know, they're very professional and so good. So, um, it, it just, um, it was, you know, and but you, there's never one event in your career you think, oh, now this is the one, this is it, uh, that's going to really set, you know, set me on fire, and 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 then. You're back to being unemployed. You're back to auditioning. You're back, you know. So right. it, 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 it's it's so funny that it's never quite what you think it's going to be. And you, of course, you were a hero to many of us uh, when we were kids in the '60s because you were the voice of Johnny Quest. What do you remember about the uh, yeah. about getting that show? I because I've heard Joe Barbera was just a great guy to work with. Barbera was fantastic, um, and was you know sort of a father figure to me. He allowed, you know, he, I did a lot of work over in Hanna-Barbera, and it was a part of the business I had never been involved in, so this was a whole new world to me, and I was working with actors like Mel Blanc and Dawes Butler and uh, June Foray, all these people who had, who did all, uh, you know, multiple voices in, in, in all these shows, and Don Messick, who was, who was incredibly talented, and these were some of the best actors I think I've ever worked with. Mel Blanc could play a scene with two characters talking to each other without <laughs> a, missing a beat. And I just right. thought, how do you do that? It's amazing. And then, of course, you do Yours, Mine, and Ours with Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda. And what were those two like to work with? Well, I was 
really fortunate enough to have started at such a you know young age that I got to work with people who came out of vaudeville like Lucy did and Bob Hope and Gleason. But you know these people, what I learned from them was how hard they work and how prepared they are. They never showed up on the set without bringing a complete performance and having it all figured out and and being able to bring it all again and again and again, take after take after take. And it was a it was a tremendous lesson to me. Lucy uh, always, you know, she said, always rehearse with your props. And <laughs> especially in com- in comedy that you really better have everything worked out. And I think it's a testament to, you know, coming out of vaudeville, coming out of theater and, and early movies, that they were skilled technicians and very, you know, funny, and also they can improvise with the best of them. Tim, when Animal House came along, I'm not sure if you had done such a broad comedy like that before, but was that one of the hot properties that everyone just wanted to become a part of? I, you know, I guess, I mean, I'd seen that script, and it was a, an avenue for me to get out of these sort of normal parts that I'd been playing, straight kind of guy next door and and so I had gotten into improv an improv group in Los Angeles called the Groundlings and yeah uh, in an attempt to you know broaden my range of uh, and, and add a skill set to my uh, tool bag so it was the first comedy I'd ever done but the trick was a lot of people who come out of drama want to you know, start mugging and going very broad and, and, you know, you know, telegraphing the jokes. And the trick with Landis, John Landis, who directed it, was to keep it very real, very simple. Don't telegraph the jokes. And, uh, you know, so it was um, a quick learning curve for me. Uh, but I must say, John Belushi was very supportive and helpful to me and a, and a dear friend. Nice. And I, I suppose you couldn't have been in better hands in terms of the material when it came to Harold Ramis and Doug Kenny. Oh my gosh! I mean, and and Ivan Reitman produced it. You know, I mean, the 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 people yeah. who were involved in that movie, and um, who their, their tremendous talent and skill at, at the comedy genre was uh, was a masterclass, really. Always great to talk to you, Tim, and and good luck to you. Jim, thank you very much. Can I also say hi to Mike and Linda Stokey in Las Vegas, too? Absolutely. Great. Tim, you take care of yourself. Animal House was made for only $2.1 million, and it would go on to gross $141.6 million domestically. By the way, Donald Sutherland did have a small role in the film, and it did really lend an air of legitimacy until he showed his bear behind. Well, that is the end of this episode of The Fake Show. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you back here next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Yeah.